It's been a fantastic day in so many ways. The opportunity to assemble earlier today and now yet again the opportunity that's been given to you and me tonight. It's truly a grand privilege and right before the services tonight there was an interesting conversation and discussion about dinosaurs and paleontology and sure enough you, you read the bulletin and you knew about the title of tonight's lesson. I hope that you'll find it encouraging and faith-building to give thought to a topic like the dinosaurs. Tonight, in fact, we're going to turn to various passages in the Bible. Maybe at this point you wonder where those may be. Well, I hope before we're finished tonight, we'll each be encouraged to think about a topic like this one. This opening slide is merely an introduction, and I have phrased some various things like this. There's no doubt about it. Dinosaurs were amazing creatures. As you and I will learn tonight by some rather interesting appreciation, these were rather majestic animals. Amazing, some very large. And you may notice about the middle of that slide, though, as great as it is that they captivate our attention, drawing us to appreciate these magnificent animals. By and large, the circumstances in which we hear about them are on behalf of those who don't believe much in the Bible, and they use dinosaurs to discredit you and me. They use it to discredit creation, and they use it to discredit all sorts of things that are vital parts of our faith. In fact, if you give thought to children, strike up a conversation, I would imagine, with any 10-year-old. And you will find an imagination full of knowledge about dinosaurs. They soak up that information rather remarkably. They can stroll off those magnificent words from their tongues when it, sometimes it gives you and I great difficulty. And as they talk about it, they can give you appreciation about where they lived and what they ate and how big they were. They can talk about the nature of which one descended from the next. They're fascinated by dinosaurs, and many of us adults are too, without doubt. Many times, Hollywood uses dinosaurs. You remember Jurassic Park? That movie that was a very popular movie, and yet in that were dinosaurs. And they, of course, use evolutionary ideas to make that closely allied to that way of teaching. Tonight, we're going to use the Word of God to help us appreciate some of those things. So let's close that slide by simply saying, let's study some dinosaurs, shall we? I've divided the lesson into several parts. Point number one is merely this one. Let's begin by highlighting what do we mean by a dinosaur. And while we're at it, let's reflect a bit on the size of these creatures. And so first of all, this definition... By definition, a dinosaur is a land-dwelling, air-breathing, ancient creature. Now notice two aspects of that are vital. They dwelled on land and they breathed air. Now that by its very nature eliminates those ocean-dwelling creatures or those that you and I might appreciate. And so we'll try to note with care that a little bit later in the lesson again. But with that definition in mind... I began the lesson by noting we're going to turn in the Bible and read about them. But have you ever wondered, where is the word dinosaur in the Bible? Well, it doesn't occur. And so you could have called me on that one. The reason is the word dinosaur wasn't coined into the English language until 1842. 
And yet the Bible, as you and I well know, was written in Hebrew, written in Greek, thousands of years before that, and it was translated into English before that. And so even in an English translation, by and large, the word dinosaur is not going to occur. Now, in those translations that have happened since then, sometimes you'll find in a footnote some particular reference that may, in fact, offer the possibility of dinosaur. But the word doesn't occur in any of the translations either, to my knowledge. At this point, think about some of the names then that our paleontological friends have given to these dinosaurs. Tyrannosaurus rex, Megalosaurus, Apatosaurus, Argentinosaurus, and that's just a few. As you reflect on some of those names, often they're lengthy, hard to spell, and sometimes challenging. But that doesn't change in any way the following. Look at some of the sizes. We ought not think that all dinosaurs were gigantically large. They spanned a tremendous spectrum. Some of them were about the size of what you and I would recognize as a chicken or maybe a small turkey. So those kind of dinosaurs, and one example would be Lysothosaurus. But on the other hand, and these are the ones with which you and I are more familiar... Some of them were exceedingly large creatures. For example, Argentinosaurus. Fossil evidence suggesting this creature was in excess of 130 feet long and weighed in excess of 85 tons. That, my friends, is 170,000 pounds. Can you imagine a creature that size? Others, such as Brachiosaurus, may have tipped the scale at an excess of 40 tons that again would have made this creature near 100,000 pounds or more. Again, these, some of them were so large, they would make modern-day elephants appear so small. It is with all that in mind. You could appreciate then, these captivate imagination, they captivate attention, and you and I are going to devote the rest of our time to reflecting on these creatures known as dinosaurs. As we close that slide... Here's some pictures. At the top is a man, an archaeologist, a paleontologist really, and he's lying beside a bone, a dinosaur bone. Look how large it is. That bone's as long as he is and quite a bit bigger around than he is. That was one of the leg bones of one of these dinosaurs. You gain a feeling of the largeness of such an animal if that's only one of its bones. You can also gain a feeling of the integrity and the massiveness of them. You would need bones that large to carry the weight of something that was 85 tons. In addition, look at the bottom left as well as the bottom right. Again, these are pictures of what appears to be consistent with some of this fossil evidence. Look at how large some of these animals were, whether it was Argentinosaurus, Brachiosaurus, or even the other, such as the Patagonia creature I alluded to earlier. These animals, can you imagine encountering one or a herd of them? Can you imagine the way the earth would have shaken if a herd of them were moving or or at least running in some direction or, or way? And yet there was a time when the earth had creatures like that on it. Point number two in the lesson is this one. There are occasions when 
After all, since we do not see dinosaurs today, is this merely a figment of some imagination of a scientist? Or were there actually creatures like this? Let me quickly dispel something. Dinosaurs did exist. Their fossil evidence has been found on all seven continents, everywhere on the globe. Evidence concerning them, either the fossilized bones of them or other attributes related to them have been discovered. There's just no question about it. Everywhere on earth, even in the polar regions, fossilized evidence of dinosaurs have been found. In addition to that, could we then note this? One of the most intriguing things about these is also what's illustrated in the next picture. At various places around the world, there are massive dinosaur graveyards that have been discovered where not just an isolated dinosaur bone, but literally hundreds if not thousands of dinosaur bones all in one closely arranged area. Here's a picture of one of them. There's some of them here in America. There's some of them in South America. There's some of them in Russia. Like I say, these dinosaur graveyards have been noteworthy in that they have been rather carefully identified. We'll talk a little bit later in the lesson, why might these graveyards have been? Well, we'll talk about that again as I mentioned in just a moment. Let's go back to the previous slide. Let's at least use this as the time in the lesson to reflect a bit on the time characteristic of dinosaurs. Our evolutionary friends are quick to say this, and you'll notice I have begun all three sentences with this word evolutionists. Evolutionists will say that dinosaurs roamed the earth between 200 million years ago and 65 million years ago. That is to say, for about a period of 135 million years, these massive creatures, at least in many cases, they control the nature of the planet Earth, and they roamed it, ruling over it in regal character. On the other hand, these same individuals would say that man, human beings like you and I, evolved about two to three million years ago. It's not difficult to draw a quick conclusion. From the perspective of an evolutionist, there's not a human being that ever saw a dinosaur. Again, humans didn't come along until about 3 million years ago. The last dinosaur, so they say, died about 65 million years ago. And so, almost 68 million years of history in their minds separated the dinosaurs and man. Again, they would say no human being ever saw one. Point number three. Let's talk about that in more detail. What about dinosaurs and human beings? What about mankind and dinosaurs? Let's begin this slide this way. You and I, as those who have the complete confidence in the Word of God, we know that on day six of God's creative activity, He came to the point of creating the land-dwelling creatures. Now, we recall that on the previous days, day one, He had fashioned light and created it, and day two was the firmament, and day three, He had gathered the land together in the waters, of course, as such... Plant life appeared in day four. The sun, the moon, the stars, and the other celestial bodies were put into place. Day five, life in the oceans as well as bird life, life in the, in the air. 
But when you come to day six, it was land-dwelling creatures. That was what was just read in our hearing by Brother Mike a few moments ago. In Genesis 1, verses 24 and 25, let's note again what the inspired writer said. And God said, Let the earth bring forth the living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping things and beasts of the earth after their kind. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth after his kind and cattle after their kind and everything that creepeth upon the earth after his kind. And God saw that it was good. And so on day six, beasts of the earth. That would have included cows and armadillos and dinosaurs. Land-dwelling creatures, these would have been included among that listing. And furthermore, you note this. Given the creative efforts on that occasion and that which took place, all we have to do is proceed along the corridors of Old Testament history. So dinosaurs were alive and well. They were living upon earth. But by the time we reach Genesis chapter 6, God had told Noah, construct an ark. Because I have seen that the thoughts of men's hearts is only evil continually, and I'm going to bring a flood of waters, and I'm going to destroy every land-dwelling creature that's not aboard the ark. Now, clearly, that would have included dinosaurs. And so, the obvious appreciation is when God told Noah, you take two of every kind aboard that ark, that would have included dinosaurs. There were dinosaurs aboard the ark. Now, that offers you and me no challenge or difficulty. Noah didn't take, I'm sure, an adult dinosaur. I'm sure he took a baby one, a small dinosaur. After all, it would have eaten less. The discharge from its body would have been less. It would have needed a lot less room. Safe to say, dinosaurs were aboard the ark. And not only that, then that means there was a dinosaur who stepped off the ark back onto a cleansed earth after the flood waters had diminished. All of that, perhaps, to say this. So, from what you and I have just appreciated from the Word of God, humans and dinosaurs lived together. Both were made on day six. The very day that God made man, earlier that day, He'd made dinosaurs. The evolutionists said that no man ever saw one. Bible believers say, without a doubt, a man saw one. They were made the same day. I wonder if there's any evidence other than the Bible that might help us appreciate that indeed men and dinosaurs lived together. I'd like to suggest to you, you won't read about any of this evidence in National Geographic. You won't read about it in the other modern-day science textbooks. It's rather overlooked, rather discounted, and in many cases, ignored completely. But it doesn't change the fact that it does exist. Could I ask you to consider this? Samuel Hubbard, in the late 1800s, was very intrigued by the nature and character of what was visible in the southwestern part of the United States of America. That is to say, in the southwestern part of our country, Large rock walls or rock, rock crevices, if you please, with various writings on them and pictures and other things that one could in fact appreciate and identify and see. 
Kind of amazing that when Dr. Hubbard looked with care at these things, and these, of course, were in the various Indian appreciations of those caves of that area, it's easy to see that there were pictures of elephants and ibexes and dinosaurs. I mean, you could easily identify various and sundry of them, and so look at this picture. That's what was sketched on the wall, on those rock cliffs there in the southwestern part of our country. All of us, I think, can readily at least appreciate what that looks like. It's clearly not any kind of creature that is readily available and seen today, but doesn't it look a lot like some of those dinosaurs that would rear up? Now, Brontosaurus wouldn't like that to be sure, but many of those others, like pictures you and I have seen, that looks an awful lot like a dinosaur in a framework in which a man would have seen him. Maybe this dinosaur was fending off attacks from one or more men, and so he was raised up. I'd suggest to you, if one can identify an elephant and an ibex and the other various creatures, somebody drew that. May I suggest to you, it looks as though some man had seen a dinosaur, else how could they ever have drawn one that would look like this? That Duhini expedition, as it's often called, has an interesting place, of course, in history. Let's go back and look at another one. That's not the only piece of evidence. Not only these pictures, and you might go ahead and notice, the third one down, as late as the 1990s, just a very few years ago now, in South America, noted rock pictures, petroglyphs in South America, and one more time, well-known South American creatures, and right there in the midst was a dinosaur. I'd like to suggest to you, humans had to have seen them in order to draw pictures like this. They were not matters of imagination. In addition to that one, what about the one in the middle, though? These burial stones in Peru. In the South American country of Peru, in fact, some 1,500 years ago or so, it was well known and a common thing was to bury certain stones in the caskets of their departed loved ones. Well, of course, over the course of time, many of these stones have been discovered. Here's what one of them looks like at the top. Look with care at that stone because it wasn't just a rock. The Inca Indians, the Inca peoples, perhaps I should say, they would write and carve onto those stones amazing pictures. No doubt pictures of things they had seen. I wonder what that picture looks like. It looks an awful lot like a stegosaurus, a well-known dinosaur. May I suggest to you again, and this I have often found to be intriguing, paleontologists for a long, long time were well aware of stegosauruses and they had no idea that it had a row of plates on its back. But after finding these stones, and you'll notice on the back of this stegosaurus, Right along the back is a row of plates. Shortly thereafter, in the next expeditions, paleontologists, upon looking for these, sure enough discovered there were these dorsal matters on the backs of these animals, and they had never known it until the pictures revealed it. How did the Incas know that those animals had that on the back? I'd like to suggest they'd seen one. They knew very well what they looked like. Another piece of evidence, isn't that fascinating?
Now you'll notice at the bottom is yet another picture. One of those rock petroglyphs. One more time, what does that look like? That certainly is not an elephant. You see an exceedingly long tail, a rather long neck, and there's not a creature on earth today that looks like that. But again, these individuals had apparently seen one. They knew very well what they looked like, and they drew these these replicas, these appreciations of them, and right next to them on these rock walls were often other animals that were readily and easily identified. I mentioned a moment ago about those burial stones taken there from the, the top. Those stones have been discovered now in the tens of thousands in number, and many of them have pictures of dinosaur-like creatures on them. I would offer for each of us to consider this. Men did live with dinosaurs, just like the Bible says that they did. And these are just some of the pieces of evidence, not nearly all of it, but some of the pieces of evidence that at least fortify your faith and mind that the Bible has been right all along. Amazingly, perhaps another point, though, would be this one. What about the Bible you hold in your lap? Does that book in any way refer to dinosaurs other than in the ways we've seen so far? For isn't it true that we have discussed from Genesis chapter 1 that on day 6 God made the land-dwelling creatures? But earlier we did highlight the word dinosaur is not in here anywhere. But there are descriptions of other animals. Let's start at the top and make this observation. We certainly would be quick to say the Bible is not a zoology textbook. But might we also say that whatever the Bible does reference, even if it be in contexts other than biology or other than science or other than paleontology, if it makes a point about those subjects, then whatever the Bible says is right. Whatever it says is accurate. Whatever it says is in fact the thing that's correct. Well, with that in mind, look at this. There are several passages, many from the lips of Jesus. Would you remember from a few moments ago, the evolutionists said that dinosaurs lived upwards of 65 million years before any man ever did. And yet, what did Jesus say in Mark chapter 10, verse 6? If you'll notice that particular passage with me, Jesus, as He answered one of the questions raised by the Pharisees, He said, But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. He was talking about human beings and said that from the beginning of the creation, God had made them. Now you'll notice, the beginning of the creation would take us back to the very beginning of things, of course. And that text says there were human beings there to appreciate it. Mankind was alive. But now again, the evolutionist says millions and millions of years separated the coming of man and the other attributes of the things around us. But again, that just isn't consistent with the Bible. What about another one? Romans 1 verse number 20 For the invisible things of Him from the creation of the world are clearly seen being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Let's unpack a few of the features of that verse. For the invisible things of Him, that's of God, are clearly seen. 
being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power in Godhead so that they're without excuse. The actual Greek word that's apparent in a passage like that one is this. It was perceived by human appreciation. I'd like to suggest to you that when that text says the invisible things of Him, from the creation of the world, that means from the very beginning there were human beings to perceive it. That's what the Greek word means. It wasn't that there was millions and millions of years. If what the evolutionist says is right, humans never perceived with their eyes these dinosaurs. The dinosaurs were long dead, so they say, before man ever came along. But Paul said men were perceiving it, and furthermore, men are without excuse. Now those verses, in a rather dramatic way, teach us that humans have been here since virtually from the very beginning, perceiving, understanding, and appreciating what God had made. All of that whets our appetite for a number of biblical descriptions of various animals. Would you turn with me to Job chapter 40? Job chapter 40. Now while you're turning there, let me use this as a time to introduce some of the features of this passage. Throughout that book of Job, you and I remember that Job had himself been in a very difficult situation. His children had been killed, he lost his possessions, and you and I remember even his health had suffered dramatically. As all of that took place, you may remember Job's friends came to him and throughout that book there's discussion back and forth and they just thought, sure, Job was guilty of some sins and he needed to repent and that's why all this was happening to him. But Job wasn't aware of any such thing and in fact he wanted to dialogue with God. And finally in Job 38, God said, Job... Pull up your pants like a man. i got something to say to you. You see, Job was ready to question God. And God answered, Job, where were you when I fashioned the earth? When I laid the foundations of it, if you know how I did it, tell me, would you? Job, where were you when I created the morning stars so that they'd sing the way they do? If you know how to do that, please feel free to have at it. Job, can you tell me about how the mountain goats bring forth and the time of year they do that? If you know, won't you just fill me in, would you? Job, where were you when I created all the fullnesses and the features of everything? And who are you to question me? In the midst of all of that discussion where God was challenging Job, you see, because Job's knowledge wasn't nearly up to par with God's. In chapter number 40, verses 15 and following, there's a creature that God uses, and He mentions it. I'd like to read verses 15 to 24 of Job chapter 40. God speaking says, Behold now Behemoth, which I made with thee. He eateth grass as an ox. Lo, now his strength is in his loins, and his force is in the navel of his belly. He moveth his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his stones are wrapped together. His bones are as strong pieces of brass. His bones are like bars of iron. He is the chief of the ways of God. He that made him can make his sword to approach unto him. Surely the mountains bring him forth food where all the beasts of the field play. 
He lieth under the shady trees in the covert of the reed and fins. The shady trees cover him with their shadow. The willows of the brook compass him about. Behold, he drinketh up a river and hasteth not. He trusteth that he can draw up Jordan into his mouth. He taketh it with his eyes. His nose pierceth through snares. I just read to the end of the chapter and almost instantly the question is, what animal is that? Well, it's easy to see, so it's a behemoth. That's what verse 15 says, but the obvious question is, what is a behemoth? When our ancient individuals translated the Bible and they came across this verse, the word in Hebrew is also behemoth. They didn't know what it was, and so all they did was transliterate it from Hebrew into English. So that doesn't answer the question, what is a behemoth? Some perhaps might be quick to say, oh, but my Bible has a footnote. And maybe you do have a Bible that has one, and many times it'll say, a hippopotamus. I'd like to ask you a question. This text said that whatever creature this is, it has a tail that's like a cedar tree. What does the tail of a hippopotamus look like? It does not look like a cedar tree. It looks like a piece of rope at best. I'd suggest to you this is not a hippopotamus. Others are quick to say maybe it is some kind of an elephant. I'd offer the same consideration. The tail of an elephant does not look like a cedar tree. Not only that, this creature in verse 19 is described like this. Whatever it is, it is the chief of the ways of God. That would seem to suggest that word chief, that it's the largest land-dwelling creatures that God ever made. I would offer to you, here is the Bible description of a dinosaur. Let's see if some of the other features do not fit. In verse number 15, he eats grass. Most of the dinosaurs were plant-eating creatures, very few of them. Tyrannosaurus rex is one of the few, but one of the few that would actually eat meat. Verse 16, his strength is in his loins. Think about that bone I showed you earlier. That man laying next to it and the bone was far bigger than the man was. Many of these bones, easily, the bone alone would have weighed almost a ton. That was a fascinating creature. But look at verse 16. His force is in the navel, and the better actual Hebrew word would have been muscles of his belly. Think about these creatures and the size of those muscles that would have been needed to make those legs work to carry an animal that size. Look at the next verse. He moves his tail like a cedar. The sinews of his thighs are knit together. His bones are as strong pieces of brass, like bars of iron. I would suggest it certainly appears to me that Behemoth was a dinosaur. And God, in essence, was saying to Job, Job, I made that creature. Look how big he is. I control him. Can you do that, Job? Can you offer by your wisdom and your knowledge the control of a creature that massive? God could say that and it would seem all the pieces fit. Look later. Verse 23, He drinketh up a river. 
If one of these dinosaurs was thirsty, I wonder how much it could have drunk. You and I know today, if you've ever visited, my family and I did several years ago, and we got to watch an elephant at the zoo drink, and the elephant was thirsty. And if these creatures were several times bigger than an elephant, and all that elephant could drink, even it looked sizable, think how much they could drink. The point is, this creature was massive. Behemoth appears to have been a dinosaur. Perhaps one final thing. It does say in verse number 20 that the mountains bring him forth food. Now you and I know that a creature this size, again, they were found everywhere on all the continents, even those with mountains. But there's another description. I've asked you to think about two additional creatures mentioned in the Old Testament. Now, the behemoth seems clearly to relate directly to a dinosaur. These other two are mentioned in very different kinds of passages. First of all, a tannin. In Job chapter 7, verse number 12, earlier in the book of Job, you notice on this occasion that the King James translation reads it like this, Am I a sea or a whale that thou settest a watch over me? That word whale in that passage is the translation of the word tannin. And you'll notice other translations read that sea monster. There were, at least at one time, large creatures that lived in the sea. Now notice they, by definition, wouldn't have been a dinosaur because the dinosaurs were land-dwelling creatures. But have there been massive creatures that at one time have lived in the sea? The answer is yes. In fact, who knows, but even today, still at the depths of the oceans, we still, as the human family, have not discovered nearly all that goes on at the bottom of the ocean. But in light of a tannin, not only mentioned there, but in Psalm 74. But there's a much better description of a creature in Job 41. Let's go back to the chapter just after the one we noted before. And I'd like to ask you to listen as I read about a creature that God called a Leviathan. Job 41. Now, this chapter is such that much of it will relate to Leviathan, but I won't read near all of it. Let me just start in verse 1. Again, in this same passage in which God is challenging Job, Job, if you think you're so wise, can you answer me this question? And we've already noticed God mentioned a behemoth. Verse 1 of chapter 41 starts like this. Canst thou draw out Leviathan with an hook? Or his tongue with a cord which thou lettest down? Canst thou put a hook into his nose, or bore his jaw through with a thorn? Will he make many supplications unto thee? Will he speak soft words unto thee? Jump down to verse 7. Canst thou fill his skin with barbed irons, or his head with fish spears? Lay thine hand upon him, remember the battle, do no more. Now if you would, jump down to another verse. Verse number 14, Who can open the doors of his face? His teeth are terrible round about. His scales are his pride, shut up together as with a close seal. One is so near to another that no air can come between them. They are joined one to another. They stick together that they cannot be sundered. By his kneesings a light doth shine, and his eyes are like the eyelids of the morning. 
Out of his mouth go burning lamps, and sparks of fire leap out. Out of his nostrils go a smoke, as out of a seething pot or cauldron. His breath kindleth coals, and a flame goeth out of his mouth. In his neck remaineth strength, and sorrow is turned into joy. The flakes of his flesh are joined together. They are firm in themselves. They cannot be moved. His heart is as firm as a stone, yea, as hard as a piece of the nether millstone. When he raiseth up himself, the mighty are afraid. By reason of breakings, they purify themselves. The sword of him that layeth at him cannot hold. The spear, the dart, nor the habergeon. He esteemeth iron as straw and brass as rotten wood. The arrow cannot make him flee. Sling stones are turned with him into stubble. Darts are counted as stubble. He laughed at the shaking of a spear. Sharp stones are under him. He spreadeth sharp pointed things upon the mire. He maketh the deep to boil like a pot. He maketh the sea like a pot of ointment. He maketh a path to shine after him. One would think the deep to be hoary. Upon earth there is not his like. Who is made without fear? He beholdeth all high places. He is a king over all the children of pride. I have another question. We've just read about a Leviathan. What is a Leviathan? What kind of a creature is this? We Again, you might be quick to say, I've got an answer. The footnote in my Bible says that's a crocodile. I'd like to ask you a question. This creature said that when he swims, the water boils like a pot. How does a crocodile swim? He swims so stealthily you can barely even see the water move. Or perhaps another observation. Earlier in that it says this creature has scales that are knit so tightly even air can't get to it. And those scales are so strong you throw darts at it and they turn darts aside like nothing. Have you ever considered what the underside of a crocodile looks like? Is the underside strong? No, the skin on the underside of an alligator or crocodile is so thin. This is not a crocodile, and it's not an alligator either. Whatever creature this is, is something so majestic that God said to Job, Job, I made that creature, and men are terrified by it. You notice on TV, there are people who go out and kill and even capture alligators and, and, and crocodiles. Men aren't afraid of them, but whatever this was... He was so ferocious that when he raised himself up, men were terrified by him. This was some kind of a sea creature, a sea monster, gigantic and large in size. He could be stealthy when he needed to be, but he also could make the water boil like a pot in his wake. I offer this as a consideration, though technically Leviathan wasn't a dinosaur. It was a sea monster of some sort. And you'll notice what else came out of his mouth. He could, in fact, send fire out of his mouth. Now that may seem like fantasy to us, but this creature was real. I know we've read about dragons. This creature was something like a water-dwelling dragon. He could blow fire out of his mouth. He had means, and we even know today from a scientific standpoint, that's not that hard to imagine. 
Many of these creatures, as you know, produce methane by virtue of their digestive system. And all you'd have to do is strike your teeth together and blow that methane out your mouth. And that would have ignited and you could have set things on fire. It's not that difficult to appreciate how it could have happened. If I might close that slide by saying, Dinosaurs did live with man. God told Job, I've made them. Job knew very well what, what, what he was seeing. And God used them as dramatic lessons, appreciating the great power of His own majesty. God could make these creatures. At that point, we're ready to draw some final observations about the lesson, and then it will be yours. I stated earlier that there were dinosaurs aboard the ark. But you and I know today that these dinosaurs have become extinct. So what happened to them? That's a good question. I don't have a great answer. The Bible doesn't say what happened to them. Maybe it is that after they came off the ark that the nature of their circumstances were different and they just over the course of time became less and less in number. But remember, men did see them because they drew pictures of them on those rock walls that we looked at earlier. And they drew pictures on those burial stones. So dinosaurs lived a long, long time after the ark. It's just that they're not here today. It's difficult to maybe know exactly what happened to them, but we know this. The evolutionary prescription that there was some kind of an asteroid... And it, in fact, hit the earth and threw a lot of dust and dirt into the air and that covered things over and that finally killed them. That's not what happened. We know nothing about that from a geologic time point. It is right. That doesn't harmonize with the Bible. But we can close our lesson like this. Dinosaurs did exist. And they did live with man because men saw them and drew pictures of them. And the Bible testifies that they lived with man. And in fact, even Jesus said they live with man. We've even read about Behemoth, which it would seem was a dinosaur. A great creature that God said, I made that creature. And my greatness is such that that creature is just an example of what I'm able to do. And ought not you be faithful to follow me? And of course, Job would have been quick to say yes, just as you and I would as well. Let's close our lesson tonight on the dinosaurs like this. We serve a God who is great enough to make dinosaurs. And He's great enough to make a place called heaven for His faithful children to live with Him forever. You and I know that just as surely as we trust Him in regard to the dinosaurs, we trust Him in regard to the the forgiveness of sin. We just need to do what He says. If there's anyone in the audience tonight that's not a faithful Christian as one who is a child of God who has walked away from that faithfulness, come back to your first love. Don't be motivated by the things of the world. Follow what the Bible teaches. If you need to come forward to make a confession of error known publicly, we'll be happy to do that. If you are, though, a person who's never become a Christian, believe in Jesus. Repent of your sins, confess His name, and be baptized. And tonight, if we can assist you in that, we'd be happy to do it. We're going to stand in just a moment, sing this song of encouragement, and use this as an opportune, convenient time, and invite anyone to come if that would be your desire. Won't you do it now while together we stand and sing?